Okay, good evening everyone. Today we are going to take a look at Parsha's Vayeshev. And it's such a jam-packed Parsha. There's so much to talk about. So we're going to pick on one specific um, t- subject and we'll broaden it a little bit, but it's going to be confined to one idea and it will be dealing with one musical note, as we will see. So a couple of you may have remembered we did this at a Shabbos morning class last year and um, we're going to be going uh, a little more into this idea. But most of you weren't there, so I know we're, we're okay. So let's take a look with the story with Yosef and the brothers. We don't have to review the basic storyline. You're all familiar with it. And we come to the time where the brothers sell Yosef to the Ishmaelites, and they make it look like a wild animal killed Yosef. So they show the coat to Yaakov, and he says, yes, it is my son's coat. And then the children want to give comfort to Yaakov. So let's take a look in source number one. It says, And all of Yaakov's sons and daughters sought to comfort him. How did they comfort him? They didn't really say anything, but they brought the whole family. You're talking about even with Yosef down, there's still 12 other children. There are grandchildren at this time. So there's quite a lot of people there, and they figured the sight of all these, this family will comfort him. And he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down to the abyss in Sheol. When I die, it'll be a great mourning. And his father cried for him. So we know that Yaakov could not accept any consolation. And really for the whole 22 years Yosef was away, he could not accept consolation. Now there is a famous question to be asked on this behavior. The Talmud tells us a person is not allowed to excessively mourn. The rabbis give us specific timelines of mourning. We have the day of death, the first three days of Shiva for crying, the next four days is for mourning, and then there's a less degree of mourning for the shloshim and for a parent, a less degree for the year, but certainly the standard is 30 days. And the rabbis say anyone who mourns more than that, it's sinful behavior. Why? Because you are thinking that you are more um, uh, sensitive than God is. And if God says after 30 days you move on with your life, even for a spouse, then don't be more uh, merciful than God. And you make it seem like God is not sensitive to your needs. So therefore, that's it. So Yaakov should have mourned 30 days, but he mourned 22 years. So how could Yaakov go against the halacha, so to speak? So there's a lot of answers given to this question. Uh, but uh, we will uh, offer a, a, a new answer to this uh, issue. That's number one. Okay, now let's get into a little background about Yosef. 
Okay, Yosef is uh, sold into slavery and Potiphar purchases him and Potiphar can see that God is with him. As Rashi explains in source number two, Ki Hashem Ito, Hashem is with him, Shem Shamayim Shogur Befiv. The name of Hashem was always familiar word in his mouth. He always is saying, God willing, may Bo God... Baruch Hashem. What? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, So Yosef, although he is far away from home, he is still keeping his religious connection. Okay. Then, we, then he starts... Uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, his master sees that he's a good slave so he puts him in charge of everything in the house and the master doesn't know anything that's going on except being with his wife that's all everything else Yosef's in charge at this point Yosef the Torah says in source 3 in Rashi comments Vayehi Yosef Yafas Toar Yosef was a good looking fellow why do we have to know he's a good looking fellow so Rashi explains since he sees he's got a position of power he starts eating, drinking, starts curling his hairs. Omar Kodesh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, Your father is mourning. You're curling your hair. I will sick the bear after you. Immediately, the next Pasuk is the wife of Potiphar starts making uh, approaches to Yosef. And that's what Rashi comments in the next Pasuk. His Lord's wife lifted up her eyes. Rashi says, Whenever the Torah says word Achar, afterwards, it means immediately afterwards. So as soon as he's curling his hair, right away, the wife of Otifar makes advances towards Yosef. Okay, now we come to the Pusik we want to spend quite a bit of time on, and it's the next two Pesukim over here. So she makes advances to him. What is Yosef's response? So I've got it in red, and if you'll be in shul this Shabbos, you'll hear it read the following way. That is the cantillation mark. If you notice on top of the olive, it's very small. It's a zigzag. And that is called in the Hebrew language a shalshelis. Now, so it means, and he refused. And he said to the wife of his master, Hain, behold, my master doesn't know anything about me in the house. Everything he has, he gave into my hands. Next passage. There's nobody in the house greater than me. He hasn't held anything back from me. Except you. Because you're his wife. How can I do such a terrible thing and sin to God? Okay. Now, first we'd like to focus in on this musical note. Now, it's a very unusual musical note, and we only have it how many times in the Torah? Three. Three is a very good guess, but not correct. Four. 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 Four is a better guess. Okay. 
four times in the entire Torah you have this unusual note. Let's see what the other times in the Torah are and let's see if we can find a common denominator. Source number six is the story of Lot. When the angels come to save Lot, they're telling him we're destroying the city. And he says, let's get going. It's time to go. I can't destroy the city till you leave. So in source six, the Pusik says, again, we got that zigzag on the word Vayismahmo. Vayismahmo. And he delayed. And the men took his hand, Ubiadish and his wife, Ubiach and his two daughters. Hashem with Hashem's mercy on him. And they took him out, they took him outside the city. Okay, that's the first time we have this Shalshelos and Vayismahmo. And he delayed. Okay. Second time in the that's in Parshas Vayera. The next Parsha, Chaye Sora, has the next one, Source 7. This is when Eliezer is sent to get a wife for Yitzchak. And as he reaches Haran, he reaches the well. He's not exactly sure how he's going to find the right wife. So what does he say? He prays to God. Vayomar. There we go again. There's the Shalshelis. Vayomer. And he said, Hashem elokei Adoni Avram. Hashem, the God of my master Avram. Hakrein olofanei hano. Hayom. Make this happen to me today. Vasei chesedim Adoni Avram. Make a kindness with my master Avram. And what is that? He says, let's make a, a, a test that I'm going to come and the young women are going to come to get water from the well. <clears throat> Whoever I ask to give me to drink and to my and shall offer for my camels to drink will know that this is the wife for Yitzhak. Then the, this parsha is the third one, and the fourth one is in Parsha's Tzav in Sefer Vayikra, at the inaugural inauguration of the Mizbeach and the Mishkan, where Moshe for the first seven days was the one who initiated, did the practice. And now he's coming to the last korban that he's going to bring. And after this, it's going to be Aaron doing all the work. So it says, Vayishchot, on that word Vayishchot, and he slaughtered it. Vayikach Moshe Midomo, he took some of the blood, and this would be the inauguration sprinkling. Vayitin al Tnuch Ozanariyamanis, and he sprinkled it on the, the uh, he put it on the left, the right earlobe. Of uh, Aaron, Valbon Yonimus, and his right thumb, Albon Ragimus, and his right big toe. And that was the inauguration. These are the four times we have a Shalshelis in the Torah. And we have to understand what is the common denominator in all four. And we'll see it's not just um, a simple common denominator, but really it's, it's a very significant common denominator with very um, important lessons, uh, psychological lessons for each and every one of us. So that is the uh, second issue we want to deal with. First, why Yaakov refused to be comforted. And second, what's the uniqueness of this shalsheles and in these four places? Okay. 
Now let's go back to our story with Yosef. Okay, so far we've left Yosef with, she's making advancements to him, and he is uh, refusing. Okay. Now, Source 9 picks up where we left off, and she was doing this every day. Every day she makes advancements to him, and he refuses every day. Now we go to Pasuk Yud Aleph in Yud Beis in Source 9. Now it was on such a day. This was not any day. This was a big holiday. Everybody's going to be in the house of worship. Everybody. So he figures he can get a good day of work done. He goes into Potiphar's house to do his work. And there's nobody from the people in the house. Ah, nobody but... The wife of Potiphar. Go to the next pasuk, and he comes in. She grabs him on by his garment, Lamar saying, "Shichbevi, lie with me." He left the garment in her hand. He ran out and went outside. Okay, so this was so. So far, what have we had? We have the first time the wife of Potiphar makes advancements to him. We are told that every day for a year she would make all kinds of advancements towards him. And he would refuse to be with her. And then finally comes this fateful day where she's got the great opportunity. And at that moment, Yosef just runs away. So let's, we have to look at a few things over here. In uh, source number top nine, it says ya- Yosef went to do his work. So look at Rashi in source 10. And it's based on a Gemara that we'll look at in a minute. Rav and Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel have a debate. What does it mean he went to do his work? Chad Amr one says, Malach Tomamish. His work. Yeah. The work he had to do. Catch up on uh, accounting and whatever. Uh, no Inventory. Chad Amr Lassos Shrach of Imah. Another one says to take care of his needs with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be sinful. But he saw the image of his father. Okay, Rashi brings it very briefly. Let's look at the primary source of that is the Gemara. And, oh, that's amazing. I didn't put down the Masechta there. Uh, I don't remember which Masechta it is right now. Okay, anyway. The uh, the Gemara says the following. Joseph, who sanctified God's name in secret, he got an, a letter added to his name. His name was Yosef. So on the breastplate of the coin, Godel had the names of all the 12 tribes. A hay was added to his name, Yehosef. But after the Yud, a hay, Yehosef. He got a hay. Okay. On the other hand, Yehuda, Shekita Shem Shemayim Befar Hesha, Yehuda publicly sanctified God's name. And that's the next story, the previous story, when he admitted that he was the father of the pregnant uh, Tamar. Nikra Kulal Shmo, his whole name has Hashem's name, because Yehuda is Yudevavay with a Dalit in there. Okay. So Nadagamora says, 
an interesting question. Continuing by the bullet point. Yosef, Mahi, where is the story with Yosef? More does have to ask about Yehuda. They know about Yehuda. He, when he publicly acknowledged he was at fault. Yosef, what is it? Tirsiv, it says, Vahayi, Kayom Hazer, was the say. Now he quotes the whole passage we just did. Vayavu Abai, see, what did the house last? So Malatu, do his work. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, now this is what, uh, even though Rashi before was quoting Rav and Shmuel, but also Rabbi Yochanan had to do it. So Rabbi Yochanan says, Malamed Sheshneim Lidvara Veriniskavnu. Teach us both of them intended on sinning. Okay, lasos malachto. Okay, that's one opinion. Vayavu habayso lasos malachto. He went into the house of his work. Rav Shmuel, same Rashi brings, Rav and Shmuel. Chadam lasos malachto mamish. One said to do his work literally. Chadam lasos shrochel. He went to take care of his personal matters of sin. Okay, fine. So, first question is, when the Gemara says that Yosef sanctified God's name in private and Yehuda sanctified God's name in public, why does the Gemara have to ask what, it is, what is it that Yosef did to sanctify God's name? Don't we know the story? Did it say anything that we weren't aware of? I mean, these rabbis knew the Chumash. They didn't bother to ask where, what's Yehuda's example. It's, it's the same Parsha, the section right before Yehuda said I was uh, the guilty one. That was public. And Yosef, the real Kiddush Hashem, was in private. So, so why is Gemara even asking, what is this? That's one interesting question. Okay. Now, let's flip the page. And now we find another interesting piece of information. The Gemara continues. She grabbed onto his coat. At that moment, the image of his father appeared. Vinir Solobachalon, he saw like in the window. Amarlo, he says, Yosef, Asidi Machekashi Koswal Avne Ephod. Your brothers are all gonna have their names on the breastplate of the coin Godel. Fatobinem and you'll be with them. Ritzon Khuriwan Shimokashim Khomivine, you want your name wiped out from them? Fatikra Roa Zonas, and you're gonna be called a shepherd of prostitutes? Or not? So I guess that shook him up a little bit. And he backed down from it. So according to the Talmud, what was it that saved Yosef? That vision of his father. Okay. So now this leads us to the next interesting question. The Talmud Yoma, I'll speak it outside. You could look inside, but let's speak outside. The Gemara says, the poor man, the rich man, and the Russia, when they come to judgment after 120 years, and each one is going to be asked the question, and they'll all be refuted. But they'll all be asked, why didn't you learn Torah? And the poor man will say, I was too poor. So God will then bring out Hillel, who was the poorest person alive, and sacrificed to learn Torah. We're not going to go over the whole stories. If you're a rich man and you said, I didn't have time, I was busy with business dealings, they bring the example of Elazar ben Kharsum, who was a multi-billionaire, and he put it all in a blind trust and just sat and learned Torah. And we ask the Russia, why did you not learn Torah? We bring Yosef as the example. And he's going to say, the guy's going to say, listen, I had a big yates of horror. What do you want? So they're going to say, you didn't look any nicer than Yosef? And Yosef, every day, the wife of Potiphar tried to persuade him. She changed her clothes morning and night. 
And the Gemara goes on and says, and she threatened him, if you don't, if you don't lie with me, I'm going to get you thrown in jail. He says, I don't care about it. I'll, 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 I'll bend you over. She has all kinds of things. I'm going to blind you. All these things he didn't want to listen to. And therefore, if the guy says, see, you didn't have a bigger Yetzirah than Yosef. And if he was able to learn Torah, he should be able to learn Torah. And obviously the fact, how do we know he learned Torah? He didn't give in to this woman's overtures. So one of the first asked a great question. I don't understand. The first two people I understand. But by Yosef, listen, if a Russia would have his father come to him with an image and to say, you're going to lose everything, maybe he wouldn't do it either. Maybe Yosef benefited by having his father peek through the window, so to speak, and remind him about that. So that would seem to be a little bit different than the other cases. Okay, so let's review the questions that we have today. Number one, why did Yaakov refuse to be comforted? It seems to be going against Halach. Number two, what is the specialness of this Shalshelas, the uniqueness in the four uh, cases over there? What does it bring to the table? Um, why does Gamora have to ask what did Yosef do secretly don't we know what he did secretly it's pretty obvious in the text and number four how does Yosef be, be the one that will refute everybody's excuses I had a big Yetzirah he had the advantage of his father coming to him and scaring the daylights out of him so how is that going to prove anything to him? that is the question so what we're going to do is share with you some beautiful ideas. Um, now, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs spoke a little bit about this idea and uh, explains one of the issues here, but I, I took his idea and I went much further over here and explored more areas here. Let's start with the Shalshelos note. Now, the earliest source for this is a 17th century Sephardic rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi, source 13. Yeah. And he says it on the very first Shalshelis. The first Shalshelis, source 13. What did I say, 17? 13. 13. So he says, he says, you should look at the way the men of the great assembly who you know, told us where the musical notes are there. And how they, and this note called the Shalsheles is on the word Vayismamea. And to explain to us, and really, you know, we know that there's different layers of understanding the Torah. There's the letters, there is the, um, the, the Nikudot, the dots, there's the musical notes. And musical notes have a profound meaning in the text. And he says, in the fourth line, he says, on this word, yismamea, you see the word, yismamea, delay is ma and ma twice. And he lists all the four times it's there. And he, if you know, the note goes like this, it's a zigzag. It's a zigzag. Okay. And shalshelos literally means a chain. So I gave you the English over there. So it's very interesting. The Torah does not have a word. There's no Hebrew word for ambivalence. But it has a musical note for it. And this is the shalshelos. 
where what does ambivalence mean? A person is torn. Should I do this? Should I do that? So the note for ambivalence is the shalshelis. And it conveys a psychological state of uncertainty, uncertainty, and indecision. So, what does this mean exactly? Well, again, the note itself is already showing you. It goes forward, backward, forward, backward, forward, backward. So, and each and one of every one of these four cases, we're dealing with the, a certain existential crisis that's happening to somebody. It's not just, uh, oh, right now I'm not sure what to do. No, this is what you call the defining moment in their lives. Lot, Eliezer, Yosef, and Moshe. These are four people who went through this defining moment. You have to make a choice. Your whole future depends on it. And you don't know what to do. You're torn between two alternatives. Um, and each one has a powerful sway over you. And you have a dilemma why, you know, one is maybe more appealing, but maybe you should really do the other. And this really brings out the deepest conflict a person has in their whole personality. Now, it's interesting, in the, in the very first time, Vayisma Mea, it's like the word Ma twice. Ma, what? Ma, what? As, as, as Lot is delaying, why is he delaying? Because he's indecisive. Because he has one good reason to leave and one good reason to stay. So if we're gonna get into the world of psychology, what word do we have to come into now? Cognitive dissonance. And uh, would you like to uh, give us the, the meaning the way you the way you understand it? Because we got an expert here, much more than anyone than me at least. Try doing it in one sentence if you can. <laughs> That's really not fair. I should have warned you. <laughs> when there isn't consistency between what you think and what you feel. Boy, that's right on the money. Say that again, so everybody can hear it. Say it one more time. When there's inconsistency between what you think and what you feel. Okay, inconsistency between what you think and what you feel. Okay, um, and it's, uh, it's usually, it's, 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 it's a psychological stress when you do a certain action and it goes against a feeling or whatever, right? And, uh, and your actions are consistent with what you really should be doing, okay? And what's happening over here, and it's very uncomfortable for the person because it's triggered by the person's belief system, system and it's clashing with new information that's being perceived. And you're trying to find a way to resolve that contradiction. That's living in this contradiction. How are you going to have to deal with the contradiction? That's the problem. And you become very uncomfortable because you've got to take one side or the other. You can't have it both ways. Uh, and uh, that uh, now 
a lot of times people inevitably resolve that cognitive distancing by blindly believing whatever they want to believe. Okay, um, you found this a lot in with the with the liberals and Trump. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's a lot. You know, you can't deny the fact he did a good job with the country, but they can't deny that they hate this guy's cops. So they they're suffering from a lot of cops. So how do they resolve it? They just say he's he's a, he's a bum, and let's just get him out. That's how they de- dealt that, with it. Or that your physical desire is taking over, and it's okay. That's right. So. It's interesting. Some people call this the Ben Franklin effect, where it's an interesting psychological phenomenon. A person who has already performed a favor for another person is more likely to do another favor for him other than if they received the favor from the person. When are you more likely to do a favor for somebody? If he did you a favor or you did a favor for him? And the explanation for this is based on cognitive dissonance. People uh, reason that they help others because they like them. And even if they don't, but because their minds are struggling, if I don't like him, how come I helped him? So if you help the guy, even though you didn't like him, what's going to happen? You got to deal with it. And quite often, you may just help him again. And and forget about the fact you don't like him. So it's your it's your nature to want to help somebody, even. But but not know. him. But 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 how could you not help him? So you helped him. Oh, once you help him, yeah, you must like him. It, it, it. Why am I doing this? As opposed to receiving from him, doesn't mean. Well, I still don't like him. But if I did something with him, how can how can I done something with him and I don't like the guy? What's wrong with me? So then you have a better chance to do it again. Or you you know the sour grapes fable with the fox who really wants the grapes, loves the grapes, can't reach the grapes, how's he going to deal with it? Oh, there were terrible grapes, probably. This is cognitive dissonance. The Torah is... So again, again, you don't have to go to university to know this concept. You just have to learn the Torah. And the Torah will give us... I mean, we're not going to have time to do all of them. But Torah gives us four examples of this. Not so much, isn't one example enough, you would ask... Once you have one example, you'll understand what cognitive dissonance is. And I'm still working through this, but we're going to see there's four different ways one can respond when one is in that crisis of cognitive dissonance. And the way you respond will then trigger a response from God. And uh, we call that, uh, what do you call that, the response... And, and then, what? in other words, you have the cognitive dissonance. Then you have to have some kind of response. Then there's a consequence. And then there's the post-cognitive dissonance response from that. So I'm going to try to show you at least three out of the four examples of this. And to show you w- what happens when you respond one way, another way, and a third way. And you could share us any, any insights you have if you want to. Agree, disagree, I'm the floor is open. This is not Torah Misenai 100%, but it's, it seems to make a lot of sense. So before we get to Yosef, I don't think we're going to get to Moshe because it's, it's a very big topic. So, and we can leave Moshe, Moshe for Parsha's Sav, which is in about three months. So, and by then we'll probably need a good review on this anyway because three months, I'll forget it. But, um, but the first three are the most prominent ones. Okay. So let's just do a little bit about Lot. 
a little bit about Lo. Now, what do we know about Lo? Let's just a little background on Lot's life. He was follower of Avram. He went with Lech Lecha with Avram. He was in a home where there was kindness done, Hachnasas Orchim. Avram was like a really big Sadik. Okay? Now, when they had, it was getting too um, crowded because they're both very wealthy. So Avram says, okay, you know, we can't be together. There's a problem over here. The land can't support us. You choose which place to go. And what does the Torah say? He looked and he saw the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was very luscious land, very fruitful land. And he selected that area. So what do we see from Lot? That he has a proclivity to amass wealth to the exclusion of moral considerations, which brought him to the corrupt place of Sodom. So obviously, we're going to see in a minute, so his punishment, since he couldn't overcome his capitalistic appetite, was to have to leave everything behind. That's the general storyline. So let's try to see Lot's conflict. Okay, number one, he has a desire for wealth. And Rashi says on the words, Vayismama, he delayed because he wanted to save his property. How could he leave all his property behind? Okay. And the angels are taking him outside. He says, run, run, and don't look back. And Rashi explains, let it be enough that your life is saved. Don't think about your possessions. Okay? And more than that, you know, you didn't behave so much better than the people in Sodom. The fact you're going to escape is because of Avram's good graces. So you have no right to look back and escape to the mountain and flee to Avram who lives in the mountains over there. Okay. So one thing for sure, he wanted money. He also wanted honor. Because we know the day the angels came, he was now appointed a judge in the city. And it says that Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Okay, he was just appointed a judge. And he wanted to host these guests who looked like very honorable guests. They didn't look like three Arab uh, strangers. They looked like dignified people. And he wanted to have honor. Also, his family was totally assimilated and integrated into Sodom's society. Because when he spoke to his two, da- two daughters married, Sodomites, and when he told them the city's going to be destroyed, they laughed at him. So that's the things he wanted in life. He wanted wealth. He wanted honor. He wanted to blend in with the Sodomites and be the best Sodomite around. But then there's realities. He couldn't forget the old lifestyle in Avram's house. Avram had guests, and he knows even though Sodom was against the law to have guests, he puts his neck out on the line to have guests. So that's one conflict, because he remembers those good old days of having guests. It was a pretty nice thing. And the truth is, he's finding now right before the destruction, that he himself is despised and tormented by the society that he assimilated into. Because <coughs> when he took the guests, all people of Sodom start coming, they want to bang the door down, says, who made you the big boss? And 
he and 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 he knows he knows that Sodom's going to be destroyed it's also he knows and when he tells his family he's ridiculed by his family so we have a great situation of this cognitive dissonance is coming over here we have this person he just doesn't know what to do and this is this great stacks of position of ambivalence so it's interesting Lod has invested his whole future in a new identity that he's been carving out for himself and his daughters and the angels say listen you're either going to leave or you're going to die okay and if he would have waited much longer he would have died get you with me so now the question is how did he resolve the conflict he was in this state of cognitive dissonance okay he's he's in this state of of conflict within himself the height of ambivalence what did he do so there's all kinds of ways people react when they're in this situation and what's probably the greatest way the most common one is do nothing do nothing you know that seems to be the le- least threatening now what is the conflict he's experiencing is he a Jew or is he a sodomite and there's plus and minuses in both directions he's been with Avram for a long was with a long time and he saw how beautiful monotheism was and all that stuff Avram was a respectable he knows the people in Sodom are a bunch of jerks it's like being in Hollywood right it's being in Las Vegas but he has this desire for money and honor and he is like the head of the fox as opposed to the tail of the lion so he doesn't know what to do so therefore how does he resolve it he resolves it by not resolving it okay so then what happens well had the angels done nothing for him what would have happened he would have died he would have died but wasn't that by doing nothing he made a choice that he whatever you want to say so he made a choice to do nothing okay you want to say that but you know but this idea of and this is Vayismamea and he delayed and now you can feel it you know Vayismamea I don't know what to do he didn't say no he didn't say yes he didn't know what to do so now so what would have happened he would have died but the angels don't allow him so what's Hashem's response Hashem says I will not let you die he forces him to leave the angels sort of grab him and the decision was made for him so now and they say don't look back this is not an option anymore. Go back to the correct way of Avram. And they say Avram's over there by the mountains there. And he says, I don't want to go there. Do I have to go there? Because when I'm next to Avram, I look like a schmo. 
I don't want to go to him. He says, how about if I go to this mountain over here? Some are a little close, just outside of Stone, but not by Avram. So they say, okay. So this is now the post-cognitive dissidence, uh, 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 what do you call it, response after what happened. It's the post-decision, so to speak, is still dissonance. Like, shouldn't he have seen, he should go to Avram? No, no, I, 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 can't, I can't go to Avram. So he still refuses. So then he says, okay, okay, we can take you halfway. Then what happens next? In the cave? With his daughters? Incestual relationship with them. So this is the person who refuses to see the truth. So he doesn't go to Avram. He doesn't go to Avram. Goes, must have gone a closer mountain. Does that mean he had a desire to go back after the destruction? It, who knows? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. He, was he understood Sodom was going to be destroyed. He believes it's going to be destroyed. But he doesn't want to resettle near Avram. He's too from. <laughs> so I'll stay in a place that's not so from. I'll save my life, but I won't do what's right. And I still can get covered. I still can get honor. So this is the person refusing to come to terms with the truth. Now, the truth is, the place you want to go, God destroyed it. So this was not a good decision. So why don't you, you know, maybe change your mind. Yeah, but I, I love money. I love honor. It's just like, and being with Arthur is such a pain for all that. And it's, okay, I can't stay. And he would have stayed. In. Now, what does this remind you of? Hauntingly. The Jews in Nazi Germany, when the writing was on the wall, any Jew by 1933 still could have gotten out of Germany. They couldn't. But weren't the facts pretty clear? Wasn't Kristallnacht enough to tell you where things are going? But how could we leave Germany? How could we leave this beautiful culture? Was it any different than Stone? Now, yes, a few Jews did leave, but the vast majority said, it'll blow over, Hitler will get knocked out of power, and this and that. And therefore, they stayed. They didn't make a decision. And the consequences, unfortunately for many of them, was death. Yeah, but I'm not quite comparing, but... What about Canada, US, and What do you mean, what about Canada? I don't understand what you're now, asking. Nowadays, I'm asking, we see so much anti-Semitism, like never Okay, before. so, you know, so I'll, I'll leave you to think about, I'll leave you to think about that. Similar situation. I'll leave you to think about that. Okay. But what's so interesting is, you see what happened when, when his wife turned her back, what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. So this is what we call the post-decision dissonance. It's the distress that happens after you make a decision or decisions made for you. Okay. Once you already made the decision, now there's results to that decision. And sometimes the post-decision dissonance can paralyze you and literally turn you into a block of salt. Now you have all these examples of cognitive dissonance, if it's addictions or certain lifestyles, giving up certain identities. Okay, so 
the Shalsheles is waking us up to this critical, and this was Lot's defining moment. Shalsheles also a chain. It means also to be, you're bound by a chain. That's what a chain also binds you. And finally, Shalsheles also is a chain. It's also understood as a chain of, um, what do you call it, descendants. To the se- a chain of descendants. Okay. Meaning to say that the decision you make now, often this one decision will decide future generations. Lod had to make a decision. What was his decision? Not to decide. He was forced to make a decision. He was sent away. And then even when he sent away, he said, but still, I don't want to go to this place. Maybe I could still hedge my bets. But you still don't want to, still don't want to change it. So you know what's going to happen at the end of the day? You're going to sleep with your children. And what came out of that shall shall us? The nations of Ammon and Moab. So we would call Lot a a clear failure in counting distance. And people who don't make the decision really, as you said, are effectively making a decision. And, and what happens is you'll see the negative results of that decision. So someone has an addiction and he knows the addiction is bad for him, but he holds on to the addiction. So what do they do? Well, he just keeps, doesn't change that behavior. And then what happens? It gets worse. And it doesn't matter. He finds another way to try to compromise and still have his cake and eat it too. And it gets worse till the person destroys themselves or the Jews in Germany till Hitler made the decision for them. Okay, so that is one example. Now let's get to Eliezer. Eliezer, okay, I gotta go a little quicker. I'm not even gonna get to Yosef today. That's not gonna be good at all. What is the conflict that Eliezer has? He has a conflict. If you recall, when Avram says for him to get a wife, what did Eliezer say? You know, maybe you want my daughter. He said, Ulai, maybe the girl won't want. But he was hinting, you know, and if we don't find a girl, how about my daughter? And Avram says, no way. I am blessed, you are cursed, you're not going to get it. But he still makes make an oath to go and bring a, a wife for him. So now, don't you see the conflict over here? On the one hand, he's been a loyal servant of Avram. He's done everything. He went to fight World War III with Avram. The two of them destroyed four kings. A loyal servant he was. Imagine you're one of uh, the, what do you call it, the, what do you call it in King Arthur's court? The uh, no. circle. No, we call the guys, not the guards. The, the, knights. the knights. The knights in King Arthur's court. But you want King Arthur to marry your daughter. And he says, no, she's not of the right aristocracy. Sorry. Now he's still got to defend my life. So Eliezer has this. Now what's his background? Yes, he's a very loyal servant, but he had certain shortcomings. There's all kinds of midrashim I don't have time to talk to you about. But first, Eliezer was the firstborn son of Nimrod, by the way. Which is Avram's arch enemy. And Avram, um, Avram said to Yitzchak, you know, when, when Eliezer brings Rivka back, make sure she's still a virgin. You can never trust him. <laughs> so, you know, as much as he was a loyal servant, but he had 
faults. And many of us suggest, well, anyway, so this is his conflict. So the conflict is, so what does he really want? He really wants to be Avram's heir. Because if his daughter marries Yitzchak, and he's already in charge of all the assets, so he'll be the heir. And it's not such a terrible thing. He's, he's a pretty good guy, but he wants to be the heir. The question is, is he going to be the loyal servant of Avram, or is he going to be the heir? He's conflicted. He comes to the well. This is the now push is coming to shove. He has to do something now. So what does he do? So what's it say? He talks to Hashem. Right? And what does he say? Well, if the girl comes and this and that and all these things, so is he doing the same inaction of Lot? No. No. But what action is he doing? He's not going straight into it. He's hesitating. He's More than that. Let's think of the condition he made. He's doing with hoping think, for a negative what, result. What, what, what was the condition he made? The girl that comes and I ask her for a drink and she will give me a drink and my camels a drink. I want to ask you, what are the odds of finding anyone who'll do that? It's an imp- he makes an impossible condition. In other words, he says, okay, I have to do something. I can't just do nothing because Avram expected me to do something. Inaction is not an, an option here because I was going to say, why didn't you do something? She says, you know what I'm going to do? Now remember, Avram said, he said, what if I don't fight anybody? Then you can come back. Oh, very good. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create an impossible condition and then the condition doesn't come true. See, I tried my best. So again, it's like the person who's the addict, instead of just not doing anything, says, okay, if you can raise $50,000 so I can have treatment for six months, then I'll go knowing his parents don't have a nickel. So this way you feel you've done something, but everyone's letting me down. I was willing. I was, I was very happy to, to, to do this. Uh, but let God get involved. Yeah, get involved, but but the way he had to get involved, you're expecting it not to work, right? And then that will feed right. So you hear what's going on? It's not inaction, but it's giving impossible terms of of, of accomplishment. So what happened? <laughs> he wasn't counting on a miracle happening. All of a sudden, boom! There comes Rivka. And he's astounded. Why is he astounded? It says he was astounded. Because he was sure no girl would do this. <laughs> Look, so just like the, the angels had to schlep Lot because he didn't make a decision, here Eliezer made the decision to give an impossible condition and God showed him up and made it come true. Now, what did he deserve for his dilly-dallying? Also to die. Because we know that during the meal, Besor was going to poison him. And only because Amalekh switched it around, he did not die. So we see even making impossible conditions is not a way out. But since God, you know, Yitzchak had to have a wife and it can come back. So, so Hashem's response is he does miracles for him.
and there's still some dissonance because really as he dis- discusses the issue with uh, Rivka's family, he uh, unconsciously tries to sabotage the mission. And he kind of says, well, you know, I kind of really wanted her, him for my daughter, but uh, I couldn't get it and this and that. And uh, he's saying, and if, uh, if you don't want, we're just leaving and goodbye, you know, like, you know. So he kind of still trying to sabotage it. But again, what happens? Rivka says, I want to go. <laughs> but the thing is, Robert, was he really wavering? He basically had a preconceived idea in his mind that his task was going to be negative. But he wanted it to be negative. He wanted to be negative. He had a bias that he was unaware of. There's much more to discuss, uh, but I have to get to Yosef. Okay, but, what, but what I'm trying to show, and what happened finally, his ancestry produced what? Sihon. Og. These terrible people became descendants from him. So his shalshalas wasn't so good either. Okay, now we have to go to Yosef. And I've got a whole 19 minutes for Yosef. Okay. So, let's... Oh, so by the way, an interesting point. We see from here the Mishra Pirkeyavos in source 14. Jealousy, lusting, and seeking honor remove a man from the world. So now, I might as well give it to you now, better than if I forget to give it to you. So, uh, I'm going to pass that around. I made a handy-dandy chart which I call the four responses to cognitive dissonance. But we're only going to do three. And I hope we can even do three. You weren't sure about Want to pass it around to this guy, okay? So it's a fairly easy to follow chart. As you see, the top side is Lod Eliezer, Yosef, and Moshe. And the left side is what's the challenge? What's the conflict? What's the response? What's the consequence? What's Hashem's response? What's the post decision? What's the next response? And what's the chain effect? As you see, we've already done. But, but here are the three critical areas that people are conflicted with. Jealousy, lust, and honor. Remove a person from this world. Do you want to stay in this world or be removed from this world? And we see with Lot, it's a question of honor. Lot wanted the honor. Although you could say he also lusted for money, but it was honor more than anything else. Eliezer was jealousy. He wanted his daughter. And Yosef obviously is Tava, is lost. And Yosef now has to make his decisions. Well, let's see where some of the conflict is. Yosef, on the one hand, is the favorite son of Yaakov. I'm going to learn that first on a very simple level, very simple, and then we'll take it deeper. But on the simplest level, he is a skian of the Jewish family. He has a grandfather, Avram, a great-great-grandfather, Avram, a grandfather, Yitzchak, a father, Yaakov. His brothers are tzaddikim. They're all righteous. His father taught him all the special Torah that he had learned. He's a very firm boy. On the other hand, he's a very attractive young man. Okay. And now he has been, we will say, brutally sold into slavery. Um... Definitely sibling rivalry issues. We could call it abuse if we were using proper terms. Getting thrown into a pit with snakes was kind of abusive. He sold into slavery. That all happened like in 24 hours. His world turned upside down. 
he's a very handsome fellow. He now is by Potiphar. He's in charge of everything. Nobody knows anything. E Egypt is the epitome of immorality. It's the norm. Everybody does it. He's got opportunity. He's got motive. He's got everything. And not only that, the most beautiful woman in the world is throwing herself at him. Now, I don't think the women can relate to this as well as the men could relate to this. Okay. But uh, you got to figure, why in the world would he not take advantage of this? Like what, like, what would be, what be so bad? Well, the only thing that's bad is you're a Jew. And he knows he's a Jew. And he knows that Jews have to tough it out. But on the other hand, he's been abused. He has all these problems. He's young and he has no future. And now you know, once you're in Egypt, you never come out alive. You never leave Egypt alive. You either stay, but you're not going to leave. So that's it. He's not going to see his family anymore. It's not like, well, you know, he went to overnight camp and a female counselor was praying on him. Okay, but in three weeks I'll be back home. No, this is like you're never going to be home again. Okay, so I might as well make a new life. So this is the great conflict. And therefore, when she comes to him, Vayismama, uh, uh, no, he says, Vayo, no, which one is it now? Vayimoe. He refused. Yes, no, yes, no, do I refuse, don't I refuse? This was the moment. Yosef, are you the son of Yaakov or are you an Egyptian swinger? And what does he choose? Total rejection of the evil. Total rejection. Now, what's the consequence of that? What? I can't hear you. Prison. Prison. Well, not so fast. You're jumping the gun. You're right, but not. This was the first rejection. So what happens? Now a whole year she's trying to get him to succumb. A whole year. So the consequence was success. He succeeded. He did not give in. He didn't get thrown into jail yet. He's not in jail yet. So here's the kicker of all. What's Hashem's response to this? More challenges. You'd figure, he's someone's going, Yashir Kayach, now you're great. We're going to have the Israeli army come in with the Navy SEALs and get you out of Egypt and bring you back home. No. <laughs> what does he get? Hashem says, you did such a good job. Maybe we'll give you a few more challenges. It's the perfect scenario. Give you a few more challenges. So for a whole year, she challenges him more and more and more. And the uh, Mephorshim explain a lot of interesting things in the Avoda of Yosef. The Avoda, Yosef understood. He had to decide, are you a, are you a Jew? Are you going to carry the Mita of Yesod to be the shepherd of the ninth Sphira? which, which uh, parallels the reproductive organ? Are you going to be a person who can be in the physical world but connect it to Hashem and use the physical world the way Hashem wants you to use it? Or are you going to be a victim of the physical world? That was the decision he had to make and he decided the right decision. 
And how did he make the right decision? Because he looked at his past and he looked at his future. The vision of his father is like, okay, you know, what's the past is my father. What's the future? In the temple, my name on the breastplate. He was looking at things very logically. What makes sense? What's the right thing to do? But he's conflicted, but everybody hates me. My brother's saying, I know it's the right thing to do, but I want my passions are this and that. So what does he do? And some of them, unfortunately, explain this idea of Vayis Mamea. Uh, a number of commentaries say the three times is he's going, no, no, no. He's going back, but, but eventually he's saying, no, no, no. And, and the fact he gives her reasons is not because he needs the reasons. She needs the reasons. He has it's not right, it's not this. That's not from his perspective. He says it's nothing doing. He's at the end, he says, it's a sin to God. But she doesn't understand this, so he says to her, it's not the right thing to do. Your husband trusts me, this and that. That wasn't for him, that was for her. He gave her, uh, saying why it would be, so even though he's not telling her it's inappropriate for her, she's saying why it's inappropriate for him. <clears throat> why didn't she tell it to her why it's inappropriate for her? Because he knew that if he has such a challenge, she's not the problem. I'm getting the challenge because I need the challenge. It must be there. I'm having a certain failing if I have to be challenged this way. He does kind of dress himself up a little bit. He feels, well, you have to be a little modern. You have to fit into society. He didn't mean to be assimilating, but Hashem is saying that, uh, you know, every situation usually has a history. And that's why it says he dresses himself up, and then all of a sudden the bear pounces on him. So Yosef, at the end of the day, knew it's my test. How did, you think it just happened out of the blue that she's chasing after me? Or maybe I had something to do with it. And sometimes people are, go under that cognitive dissonance because they need to have a test of their spirituality. And there's all kinds of excuses for succumbing, whatever reasons. Yaakov's there, Yosef's there, he sees society, every dress is nice. But he understands the test is for him. And I can't blame anybody. I have to deal, this, who am I and what am I? And the answer has to be no, no, no. There's no way. He doesn't even discuss it with her. He just says, that, that's the answer, no. Now, the, the Hasidic masters say another point. They say there's a beautiful attribute called Tiferis, beauty. And Tiferis is when you're able to, think, like, you know, let's say you have a, a, a wall that's white. It's nice. And a wall that's red. It's nice. But if you can have a, what do you call, uh, what do you call it? A mural. A mural. Now that's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? It took so many different colors and put them all together. It made an amazing thing. Well, just like there are murals in life that are beautiful, our life has to be a life of a mural. You know, Hashem doesn't want us to only do one type of nice thing in our lives. We should think of a variety of things to do in life. And we know, mystically, you know, attitudes and feelings in this are called garments of the soul. 
A person can be happy, a person can be sad. What is it? You're putting on a garment. You're putting on a garment of happiness. And then you could take that garment off and then put a garment of sadness. And then you could put a garment of jealousy. And then a garment of anger. And then a garner of kindness. You know what? what is, I sh- we have to know every minute of our lives has to, we have to be in another garment. Because why should every minute follow, be the same minute as the last minute? Because what do you need another minute for? So you live one minute, and this is this challenge. You live another minute, this is another challenge. Or you're doing something nice in this realm. Well, how about you try something else? That's the, the beauty of a human being. Not just say, I'm a one-focused person. All I can do is this kind of kindness, and I can't do anything else. That's okay, but it's not beautiful. You have to be able to take everything in life, and touch every little aspect in your life because you're a totality of so many different meadows. And guess what? The Yetzirah does the same thing to you. Do you think he only tries one thing on you? He that one does work, he tries another thing on you. And if that doesn't work, he tries another thing on you. And guess what? You have to defend yourself and show that you're versatile, that you can go against many different forms of attack. That brings out the beauty of a person. And that was Yaakov's meter. Yaakov's meter was Tiferes, was this beauty. So Yosef, so she comes to him and she says, be with me. He says, no, no, forget it. I'm not interested. Every day it's the same, no, 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 no. Now, this is only to be practiced, do not practice this at home now. But Yosef says, you know, I've been doing this, but shouldn't I be doing something a little different in my Avodah Hashem? So right now it's been just rebuffing the Yetzirah. Now he's thinking, how about if I can mock the Yetzirah? How can he mock the Yetzirah? You know, you like to, Yetzirah comes, run away! No, no, no! He says, today, I'm going to come with a new plan to show Hashem my diversity. Again, do not practice this at home. Only if you have some exotic. He says, today, I'm going to go and purposely let her arouse me. And then at the height of the arousal, I'll throw the whole thing back in her face and throw her out because I'm not interested. In other words, I want the Yetzirah to really get me excited. And then it's like being an, a double agent, an undercover agent, like a SWAT team. Yeah. You know, where you go in, right, not SWAT team, what's the other one? Where you fool, a sting operation. Sting operation. Go and say, yeah, I think will be a good time for us to this. <laughs> really? Yes. And yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Get out of here! Wow, that's really effective. Yeah. It's taking Yetzar and grabbing him and throwing it. You're disgusting. You're revolting. That's a new type of avoda. And where did he learn that from? Yaakov. Because Yaakov couldn't just be a one type person learning Torah all day. He had to learn other things. He had to learn sneakiness and cleverness and how to outsmart Rishoyim and this and that. That's the vision he saw. He wasn't planning on capitulating. He saw the vision to know that helped him with his decision. I got, and everybody knows this, every Russian knows, where'd you come from, what's your future? Every Russian gets a vision of their parents. You don't think you have Rishayim who raised in nice homes, remember I had a hardworking father, and I just you know, decided to be a criminal? And we think few, we all know that. But what Yosef did, and this one, the Gemara says, what was his private Kiddush Hashem? What was his private Kiddush Hashem? We know in the Torah says what it was. He said no. But now he did more than say no. Not just 
saying no, but he says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to mock it. And that's a much greater level of Avodah Hashem because we always have to look at a variety of ways of serving Hashem because Hashem has so much. And to do the same thing over and over, it's good. Consistency is good. We have to come up with some new flavors of your own Yiddishkeit. If you're a wonderful person, you learn a lot of Torah, but you don't do as much chesed as you could. Well, now let me work a little bit of chesed. Well, it's not my strong card. Well, make it your strong card. And we do chesed. Okay, how about other things? You have to have variety, and that's what Yosef does. So what comes out is so fascinating with Yosef is that what happens when he totally rejects the evil and he succeeds? So Hashem says, you know, I see you're so good, I'm going to give you more challenges. And more challenges. And what becomes the final result? Kiddush Hashem. When you're able to make the right cognitive choice, how? By looking at your past and looking at your future. And that's why, oh, I don't, you see, source 16, it says the words, he refused, is an acronym for three different sentences. Vayomer Yosef, Mara Oviv Negdo, Yosef said, the vision of his father was in front of him. Vayomer Yaakov, Mechoshen Atonimchok. Yaakov said, You're going to be obliterated from the breastplate if you sin. Vayiri Yosef, Nulatam Yisnafshen. Yosef was afraid to sully his soul. What? Wasn't it a miracle that he sort of got out of that situation? No, it wasn't a miracle. I thought he almost, almost, almost gave in. Yeah. No, he, he, that's not giving in to his. To, to her seductions, he played, it was the sting operation. What happens in a good sting operation? The girl goes as a prostitute, but she's an FBI agent. She takes half her clothes off, the guy takes half his clothes off, and then, boom! So he wanted to teach her So that's what Yosef did. He takes his, he takes it, he's ready for action. Get her really excited, and then, sting! You think I was fooled by that? I'm not even interested in that! That's, and that's when it said they both came to do their work. If you look carefully at Rashi, when Rashi says, where's that Rashi? They, that they both came, it's at the end of, in 11, 11 by the bullet point, it's in red. They intended for, for a thing of Avera. He, yeah, he was intending of a thing of Avera, meaning to get close to the Avera. The sting operation. She really wanted the Avera. So he never once fell into this. And that's the great Kiddush Hashem he did. And that's how he could tell all people you didn't have a bigger Yetzirah than Yosef. And now we can understand why Yaakov refused to accept the fact that Yosef had died. Because Yaakov knew Yosef. And he said, Yaakov, Yosef's the kind of guy, no way he could die. No way. He picked up for me how to be able to make the right decisions. And there's no way, not that he, 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 he couldn't stop mourning for him. He said, I don't believe he's dead. He can't, he's got this talent, he cannot be dead. So therefore, I think this has so many lessons. And what was the end of the day? At Yosef, at the end of the day, what's his shall shell us? Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim and Menashe. So here the Torah, there's really a fourth round of time, but there's three ways to deal with cognitive dissonance. You can either don't do anything, you can give impossible conditions, or you can totally reject the evil. And if you do, you see the differences down the line. Okay. Excellent.